What if everything you're searching for is already inside of you? Hi, I'm Cassandra Goodman, and I believe that true power comes from staying connected to who we really are at our core. This is a podcast about what it means to stay true to ourselves and why authentic leadership is such tricky business. You'll hear inspiring real life stories from big hearted leaders. I hope these stories help you to remember that true power comes from within. So here I am today talking to my friend Tom. So Tom is a director at one of the world's leading engineering professional services consulting firms. That's a mouthful, right, Tom? But I got it right. It sure is, yeah. (laughs) And Tom's career has gone from seeing him design bridges to being the person who takes care of those who are designing bridges, which, you know, to me is a fascinating um, topic and one I know very little about. Um, but I'm sure Tom will give us a glimpse into his world of, of taking care of the folks that do the very important work of designing bridges that, that so many of us um, use. Uh, so Tom was born in New York. He spent some time in California, Colorado, and now lives here in Melbourne. And that's where Tom and I met, actually, at the dog park, because Tom's dog, Alfie, and my dog, Belle, our best buddies. They love playing in the park. And Tom and I have had lots of conversations in the frosty evenings in our local dog park, sometimes on the beach in the in the warmer months. And at some point in those conversations with our dogs, I said, Tom, I would love to talk to you on my podcast. And kindly, you said yes. And so here we are. Welcome, Tom. It, it is it is good to talk to you outside of the dog park, Cass. That's, <laughs> this is really nice. It's slightly weird, isn't it? But it's good. <laughs> good weird. It is, and it's. Uh, it feels like both a a a. It feels like a break in the middle of the day, but but yet it's not. Here we are. We're you know we're talking yeah. about things that are important um, for our work and just how we are as people. So I, I'm looking forward to this. Thank you, Tom. I think what was clear from from our very early conversations is we share. Uh, a passion for authentic leadership by showing up as leaders who care deeply for those we serve, those we lead, um, and who take the job of leadership really very seriously. That's something that that struck me from, from our very first conversations, how seriously you take this great responsibility we have as leaders of people. And so, Tom, you've listened to some of my first podcasts and you know kind of that this is a candid conversation. It's not scripted. It's really just to see where this conversation takes us about the tricky business of being true to ourselves, the tricky business of staying connected to and accessing power that comes within, this innate power that we all bring to our roles of as leaders. And so my first question is, if you might be willing, Tom, to take us back to a moment in your life or your career, when you realize that you were not being true to yourself. Yeah. And, you know, Cass, it, it's, um, it, it, it's a tricky question. Uh, and and I, I, I really kind of appreciate you asking it to begin with. And, and, and it got me thinking about that, about when I am and when I'm not true to myself and um, am I true to myself? Uh, so so I'll go back far uh, uh, quite a ways to, to talk about that. But I guess first I'd say um, 
in my career and in my life, I, I am, I think, somebody who does things the way I want to do them, the way I, doesn't mean I necessarily bully my way or push my way through something, but I see how I want to do it. And I'm not particularly concerned that other people haven't done things that way. So I'm fine with being in that space. And that's part of where my career is, is being in a creative space, even while I'm working with really technical things and being comfortable that that's okay. And it's okay to be uncomfortable in those places. Mm. So, so I had I had I had to think about it a bit. Um, but there was there was certainly a time, and I was probably in my my mid twenties. I and um, I used to well, I've, I've always been athletic, but in my early twenties, I was a competitive runner, and um, eventually I started doing triathlons. Back when triathlons were early, early on. Uh, and I, and I was pretty good at that. And I, I got into, um, a top 10 ranking for my age group. And I think when I was, uh, 25 to 29 age group in California as an amateur. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and I got a sponsor and I started racing for the sponsor it was a big, um, uh, running company and we're really big into, triathlons at the time. Uh, and, but I went from doing something that was like me and my friends doing something and, you know, getting fast and, and, and going and doing the, the races we wanted to do and having a good time to having to wear somebody else's kit and showing up to do pre-race events and being told which races I was going to do. And while they were paying for them, they're like, yeah, you're going to show up and do this race. Then you're going to do this other race. You're not going to do that other race that you want to do, all those things. And I did it for a little while. And then it just, you know, it really lost its, its kick. Mm. And, uh, and, and I felt like, yeah, this just, this just really isn't me. I like doing it. I love racing. I love being out and in that competitive environment. But I just, I just don't want to do this. Mm. And I dropped it. And, you know, just kind of, it doesn't take much to drop that kind of a sponsorship. It's not a big sponsorship. If you don't show up, they're okay with that. They'll find somebody else. <laughs> but for me, it wasn't right. It just wasn't right. And, and you, and I, and I went into it thinking it really would be right. I was really excited about it. You know, it's not, there's, to be honest, there's nothing like being that, um, uh, that, relatively unknown athlete and then having a sponsor come up to you at a race and saying hey we've been watching you you're doing great we'd love to sponsor you out of the blue just you know mm. and, and you've you've kind of you get that adrenaline that endorphin rush of being recognized and accepted but that really wasn't the right place for me yeah and, uh, I love that story because you know my mind is is going to all different places as you share that story Tom because one thing I'm interested in is um what was a values clash that that was the first thing as you were sharing that I was wondering I wonder what value in you this just didn't harmonize with um do you have a sense for that like what what was it that that uh, was it the loss of freedom was it you know what was it that made you think this isn't right I, I think it was just the loss of freedom it was mm -hmm. the loss of sort of um yeah commercialism of of, of yourself mm. 
and uh, um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I'm, I am in other other spaces that are competitive, and I don't feel that way. Um, certainly, work expects me to be places. Well, that's the first thing I thought, Tom. I thought what you're describing is a real parallel, isn't it, to working for an organization that you know, having come out of big big business, and like you, you know, you, these are the values. These are the guidelines. This is what it's okay to say on LinkedIn. This is what it's not okay to say on LinkedIn. You know, we've all had those moments where we've had to kind of comply, um, fit fit the mold to some extent, whether it's the organizational values, a dress code, you know. And so what I was intrigued about what what's what was different in that scenario. Um and yeah, yeah I yeah. I, I think probably it was that that was my that really was my free time anyway. Mm, it's an intrusion it, on your yeah yeah your and time. and honestly it doesn't sound like that much of an intrusion right so somebody else is going to buy your you know spend a bunch of money on your, your your sweatshirts and your your kits and your shoes and you know whatever you're going to run in their shoes not the you know you want to run in uh in in uh nike or something and they they want you to run in in asics i mean you know it's just like pretty minor details <laughs> in life but for you at the time, it was not it was not compatible with with this. I think perhaps it was also the joy you're this natural joy you're experiencing in triathlons, and I you know I've dabbled in triathlons myself, not at the anywhere near the level. These are very short triathlons, and there's a real there's a joyousness, um, and it's a very much a personal thing, right? That this that you're pushing yourself personally to to reach new limits. It's it's a very it's a personal thing. And then I imagine it kind of felt a bit sully that all, all of a sudden this personal thing that probably imagine meant a lot to you was somehow being tarnished by this commercial um, aspect. Yeah. And so, you know, if you just think about like uh, my, my brother-in-law and I uh, did, did a lot of races together and, uh, and, and also with, with my brother and with some other friends. So if all of a sudden you're going to, you know, this is the thing that you do with your friends and then you're going to go, but you're actually not going to be with your friends. You're going to be with um, some other people. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I hadn't thought about sense. it like that for yeah. a long time, but I think that's, you know, that was a lot of what it was. Mm. So yeah. you, so your values that were being, that were incompatible with your values around freedom, your values that this is my personal thing with my family, my friends, you know, how dare you <laughs> take this away from me for a couple <laughs> of bucks. <laughs> that's right <laughs> I can imagine that yeah and you know when I think about my work at the center for self-fidelity and there's a parallel there about me putting the pressure on the center for self-fidelity to pay to pay my mortgage I've had to learn that that's not that's the thing that can sully this deep passion I have for helping leaders to be true to themselves when you put that commercial pressure sometimes on things that are you know deep passions it can get really yucky yeah yeah and and i it, it it's it's ironic that that we you know in in any corporate world we end up working with um yeah uh, just that that pressure that you know both the pressure of you taking care of somebody else's money mm. you being in a position where you you need to do things in order to um to continue to be viable yeah. in, in your lifestyle, you know, paying for your mortgage, paying for your, your kids' activities, uh, paying for private school if your kids are going to private school, 
all these things that all of a sudden lock you into what you need to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so many uh, of the leaders I work with and, and coach, and I imagine lots of the listeners can relate to um, this, this challenge of money um, causing us to end up in places where we just don't feel right. Um, And sometimes the addictive nature of those places, you know, I've certainly, I certainly admire, and I'm not surprised by that story, Tom, knowing you as a man of real values and integrity and clarity and doing what's right for you. Um, So I'm not surprised you weren't lured by the sponsor and all the ego stroking that would have come with that. And, you know, all the external trappings of that, um, that you were able to make that right choice based on your values to pull back from from that sponsorship arrangement. But I'm, I know for a lot of people, it's not that simple, right? Because we're, we're kind of conditioned to want the gold stars, to want the accolades. Like, what do you mean you'd walk away? Like, people would kill for this sponsorship. Like, it's a lot of pressure, isn't it, sometimes to stay stuck in these situations um, that we just know deep down aren't right for us. Yeah, I think it, it, it does take... Um, and, and I, I guess I, I feel fortunate that I don't feel like I have to do a lot of soul searching to find those spaces mm. for myself. But I, I, I know for for some people that is more of a more of a challenge to find um, mm. to find that that space. And and and, and just you know I, I guess what I would want to add to that is um, uh, for later in life, and this probably about ten years ago, I I might have told you about this, but I, I work with a, an NGO called Bridges to Prosperity that build footbridges in uh, rural rural communities that where people just walk. And right now we're doing a big program in, um, in Rwanda. And I've also worked in Bolivia and El Salvador on these. And what I've found there is that I think where people have the most freedom is when either they have so much money that they don't know what to do with it, like you know Bill and Melinda Gates or something. We're just gonna give it all away we're going to go do the things we want to do. We're not going to worry about the money. And when people have absolutely no money at all. Mm. And so um, the, the, when you don't have that constraint, when, when the money is a constraint for you, it, or, you know, I'd say when you let it be a constraint and granted there are limitations about when it's important or not important, that, that, that really pulls at your ability to, to be true to, to yes. your own self. It's such, it can be such a corrupter of our values. And, you know, I know in my first book, I talk about this idea of junk values that come in and kind of displace our core values. And I think these values around consumerism and having the the cars and the clothes and the stuff and the trappings of success, I'm doing air quotes here, um, it's such an addictive thing, right? Um, and, yeah, so I think... Um, you use the term soul searching there. And I think that's such an important point, Tom, because you you said something like it didn't take a lot of soul searching for me to realize this situation had pulled me out of alignment with my core values. And what I just want to reflect back, having observed you many a night wandering up and down that dog park, you strike me as a deeply reflective man. So is it true to assume that you have these deep kind of almost embedded self-reflective practices that so that's your soul searching I think has 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 been done and is continued Mm. to be done this looking within right which which 
is rare today because people are so busy and also afraid of looking within. Are you a man that that regularly looks within to do this soul searching? Uh, probably. <laughs> Maybe I think I've just you gotten are. <laughs> so used to it, I don't I don't notice anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I did a. Um, I, I I think that that we are able to. Um, to, to really set some of those things that are important to us and, mm-hmm. and, and, and figure out what those are. And, you know, for some people say like making money in, in and of itself. And I know people who, who went into their career with, uh, with a plan of retiring at 50. So they didn't go into their career to make money because they wanted to make money. They wanted to be done with making money mm-hmm. when they were 50. Yeah. There's always and, a and so, and, yeah. so, so that that was a specific thing, as opposed to I'm just obsessed with making money for the rest of my life. It's a vehicle to get to a mm. level of freedom, and I yes. completely understand that. Whereas me, I, I, you know, I, I would say I, I don't, I don't care. And my, 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 my parents, and I'll, I'll reflect this back to my, my because my parents have always been really generous. They don't have a lot of money, but they're comfortable and they have no problem giving away whatever they have. And my, my mom says she, she thinks money is like manure. It's only really good when you spread it around. I love that. <laughs> I've not heard that before. That's a good one. Yeah. She doesn't say manure very often, but. Um, <laughs> but uh, my mom probably would use the S word, but your mom sounds far more refined. <laughs> um, but I, but I, I think it's absolutely true. And um, mm. uh, so, so the, the things, w- w- uh, so for me, when I, there are things that I know that are important. So like with my career, things that are important to me are, um, uh, are the, the long-term impacts of, of what we do, of connecting communities and leaving something that is a positive lasting part of the, of the community. Mm-hmm. bridges that look nice um they don't have to be shiny and flashy but we we can do things thoughtfully and you know and recognizing that uh what's what um what what a community looks like is important so a bridge that that is um compatible with a community whether it's a nice little underpass um with you know uh, nice uh, appendages to it where you come in and there you know, maybe some sculpting to it and softened edges and things like that these are not big deal things but we've thought about it and we've tried to make it nice for somebody mm. there's i think those things are important to me uh, we did an exercise in uh in my leadership team the team i'm part of as as a leader our um, business leadership team couple of years ago uh, to do a five-year reflection and the, the exercise, and I highly uh, uh, suggest this to recommend this to people, was picture yourself giving a, uh, you know, two years from now, you're going to give a, a speech in front of your peers and be able to say, um, I, you know, here's what my team has done over the last two years and I'm, or, or five years, whatever that uh, period time period wants to be um, and here's what we did and I'm really really proud of what we did here and so you know was that that we we doubled in size that we made a lot of money what is you know if there was one thing that you could say after 
say five years from now about what what you did, what you accomplished, what would that one thing be? Mm. And um, so for me, my reflection was uh, um, uh, my my team was able to figure out how to decarbonize all the all the work that we do. So we're we're you know we have a zero carbon design. We don't add any carbon. We're taking carbon out of the environment. If I could say that, or I could say we made a hundred million dollars, which one would I rather say? Mm. I don't care about the hundred million dollars. I really don't. And hopefully nobody from, you know, my CEO is not listening. <laughs> but um, uh, well, in today's world, that that financial reward you think would be an outcome of taking sustainability seriously, because that's what it, we need all organizations to do. It is. It is. It's the biggest. It is the biggest opportunity the right. world has ever seen. Yeah. So so all those things go together. And I guess that's kind of where, you know, for me, um, I, I, I feel like if I do those things that are right for me, the, the other things we will take care of. We won't ignore them. We yeah. won't say I just don't care. I still have to keep the ship afloat. We have to do all those things. But that, but that shouldn't be the why for us. There yeah. should be a, a higher level of why that we're doing something. And right. I think that helps keep me um, true to myself. When, when I'm moving in that direction, I can't do all those things. I know that I have to, I have to be able to take other people there too. Yeah. I just think that's so refreshing, so grounded and so courageous, right? And, you know, I think, I'll speak for myself when it comes to the disastrous state of the planet and the situation we find ourselves in from a climate change perspective. It's it's really hard as an individual, right, to think, well, why why should I bother? You know, why should I make these small changes when industry is really the ones that need to change? And it's industry predominantly that's got us in this mess, greed and industry. <laughs> and, you know, this is often... <laughs> the thinking right yeah um, no it's true it's true and so to yeah. hear of industry leaders like yourself that are really taking sustainability seriously that are really prioritizing it over more money more double digit growth more short-termism all the things that have got us in this mess it's just so relieving and it, it makes me think yes that well there is hope um and we can all play our part, whether it is at an individual household level, knowing that leaders like you in business are really taking this agenda that seriously. And there's courage in that, right? Because having worked in big business and, and seen lots of examples where sustainability was really quite tokenistic, really on the side of the agenda, not really at the core of how we set strategy and how, how we think about prioritization of, of the resources we have and the conversations we're having it's really refreshing to hear that keep going yeah i i i think that the um the the our industry um i you know i i hear things every day uh was hearing today that um i uh, heard in a podcast i can't remember who it was bhp has decarbonized as as um uh gotten rid of all their fossil fuel um uh investments just there they're they're just walking away from all that. Um, so we need we need big decisions. We need big bold moves, don't we? Because the yeah. the tipping point is so close that it we've got to be really bold and really brave. 
Yeah, and I guess you know now, kind of just just uh, talking about this with you, you know, I think sort of at the core of that self is is the ability to do the thing is the ability to do things that you're that that require courage. Yep. And um, you know, and 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 if if I look back even before before sustainability, before decarbonization became a a true day-to-day focus for for us um you know some of the other things that we that that i got to work on and and i i consider my career as like if i could have scripted something and said where could all these things happen and where would i be to do these things i couldn't have scripted it any differently so for example i was um was in california working as a bridge engineer when we had the loma prieta earthquake and it caused lots and lots of damage I happened to be in a position to do reconnaissance on the damage, to go into San Francisco the night of the earthquake um, when people were leaving. And those those times when those things require courage. And and I guess, you know, I, I feel lucky that I I was comfortable in those going and doing those things. I know people that didn't want to have anything to do with it. They're gonna mm. stay home and let somebody else do it. And me and a lot of other people too. And a lot of other people do it now. You see it after a big earthquake when people just go and they jump in and they start digging into buildings and putting themselves in incredibly dangerous situations because they're compelled to do it just based on what happened right then. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and I think that's when you're really true to yourself, that you're not going to regret that you walked away from that kind of a situation, that you went ahead and um and and met those things head on and dealt with those challenges mm. and um and 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 found solutions and found ways to design bridges that um that were more resilient to earthquakes and not just on your own but you know reaching out to other people and getting things embedded in an industry and getting people to change the way they do things and and that level of courage is i think at, at the core of 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 yourself yeah that's so powerful uh, what you just said. And we know that innately we all we all are courageous beings. You know, at our core, courage is available to all of us. And as you're talking there, Tom, I'm just what I what's striking me is um your capacity to dig deep enough to access that courage, that innate courage that's in all of us. And, you know, I bring the certain lens I bring to my coaching is a lens of the different parts of ourselves, the parts that want to avoid, run away, deflect, the parts of ourselves that cause us to second guess that innate courage, that innate creativity, that innate power and depth that that's available to us. And I think it's not, a coincidence that you are a leader who has these deep self-reflective practices, who's done the soul searching and is a leader who has access to, to your full depth of courage. That that's not coincidental, right? Yeah. Like I said, I, I feel, I, I feel really lucky to, to, to have that, um, that sense about, about myself or, um, and, and also to know, uh, certainly to know, when to get help and what what kind of help to bring along that's Um, part of being courageous right that's being connected and courageous like knowing when to ask for help is uh, yeah being brave yes I ask for a lot of help good (laughs) 
I think we all need to ask for help more often. You know, the quote, one of my favorite quotes comes from David White and he says, put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation, right? So many of us have this perceived imagined aloneness that we're the only ones struggling. We're the only ones who think like this. We're the only ones going through this kind of inner battleground. And it's, we've all got such similar struggles and more coaching I do, the more I realize that, that the inner struggles we have as leaders today are so similar and we don't have to go it alone. I think that's such an important message. Um, So the, my final question, and in, in some ways you've already answered this, but my question is, when you're being fully yourself, what sort of leader are you empowered to be? Um, okay, so, 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 so what do you mean by what kind of leader? Well, you've already talked about you're a courageous leader. What would be what would be a different way to answer uh, ask you that question? But when you're fully yourself, when you oh. feel empowered to access the depth of of your core of who mm-hmm. you really are, who are you being? How do you show up in the world and, and at work? Uh, well, I think I, I think I show up as 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 open, mm. um, and um, it, it's a um, I mean, there, there is there is a deeply creative side to me, which um, has to get in in my industry. In in some cases, it has to get doled out in small bits, because it, it, working in an engineering world, um, th- there are sometimes there are only small places for it, and other times there are big open places for it. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, so I I work with I work with some brilliant architects. Uh, people who are um, bridge specific, bridge specialty architects, uh, and um, and and I think in in those cases. Um, so I had we had a call with um, architects that were working with on a project in Australia, but they uh, a, a group that we work with out of Copenhagen. And you can look at any of the big bridges that that are running across the. Um, uh, uh, the ocean out there to over to Sweden and, and they probably had their hands in it. They are just brilliant to work with. And those, those times when we have a blank piece of paper and we can start to um, work on ideas, uh, I, I think is where I, I feel the best about myself. Mm-hmm. And, and there really are times when you go into something like that, uh, an idea about what we're going to do for, this and not necessarily something that's big. This is a small local bridge, but it's something that we want to we want to fit well to the site. It's it's nice, but it's not overly nice. It's still going to be special for the community and give them a sense of pride in 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 in, in themselves and and speak to them. It's not ours. It's it's theirs. We're creating something for them, but we have a blank piece of paper, and you can go into those environments with people of different capabilities and literally come out and not know where that idea came from. It, mm-hmm. you know, it, and, and it really does become um, uh, an, an opportunity to sort of mind meld with the people that are there. And even the thing, and even, you know, the, the architects that I work with, they will say the same things about that. Like they would not have had the idea that they had or that they sketched or that I sketched unless they'd seen what, 
somebody else was doing in the room unless they'd yeah. have that conversation with you. And so being in that environment where you really are um, connecting with other people and, uh, and kind of all growing together, I think is where I feel most mm. comfortable. I love that. And, you know, we, we touched on the importance of, you know, working collaboratively, not working alone, staying connected. And, you know, this, this idea of co-creation of bridges is a pretty special one that we're, when we're all contributing to the creation of something new, um, that's really powerful. And so, you know, I think what I'm hearing is that at your core, when you're really accessing your true power, you're a man, a leader who is creative, deeply creative in a connected way, who's open and who has access to this deep well of courage that's within you, within me, within all of us. And to bring all of that into, you know, the, the world of bridge building, I think is quite extraordinary. And, you know, anyone listening to this who say, well, I can't be playful. I can't be creative. I work in accounting, which is stuff I hear a lot. It's like, well, let's call BS on that. (laughs) (laughs) We can all be creative. We can all be playful in big ways and small. This is always available to us if, if we've got the courage to, to access it. Um, thank you so much, Tom. I really enjoyed this chat I really appreciate your time and all that you shared. And I'm sure that listeners are going to get a lot out of the deep wisdom and, and and the insight and everything that you shared today. Uh, Thanks. I really enjoy it. And I've enjoyed listening to the other, your other podcasts too, because I I get something out of those every time I listen to them and just hearing other people talk about how, you know, how how they, how they get through life and, and their successes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we don't talk enough about the hard stuff, though, do we? I think that's what no. that's what I'm enjoying the the inner struggle part of leadership, which is really what these conversations are about, normalizing um, and the successes as well. So, thank yeah. you so much, Tom. I'm sure I'll see you and Alfie in the dog park very soon. Yes. Yeah. Can't wait. All right. See you. Guys. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. By being true to our deepest selves, we liberate our highest potential and serve the greatest good. As the founder of the Center for Self-Fidelity, I am on a mission to help leaders feel more authentically empowered so we can co-create workspaces where people can thrive, perform, play and belong. Learn more at selffidelity.com.